Hi, I'm Xian Xiao. And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience. The waiting room revolution starts right now. Welcome to our spring series, where we feature intimate conversations taken from our In the Waiting Room with live events. This episode, we feature Sandy Buckman. To kick us off, we have Dr. Sandy Buckman in our waiting room. Um, he's a palliative care physician in the community for over 15 years and the past president of the Canadian Medical Association. He's currently the Freeman Family Chair in Palliative Care at North York General Hospital and a thought leader for the medical profession. So thanks so much for joining us for our first live event. My pleasure, Sian. Thanks for having me. So as you know, Dr. Sammy Wymaker, whom you know and I are we're really excited about this podcast. It's something we've been working on for four years. Uh, the waiting room revolution. Um, it was really about trying to find solutions for patients and families facing serious illness and revealing these tips of how to have a better experience and, and what people you know, always wish they knew, but sooner. So I know you've listened to some of the podcasts so far. What have you thought? I thought they were actually amazing and kind of, um, that was a bit of a, it was, was the, one of the attractions to come on this, uh, on this call today because um, everything was put into these great simple messages. And actually I use them now. So I'm using walk two roads and I'm using that kind of metaphor, which I hadn't all the time because I found it so useful and my patients are finding it useful. So um, thank you. And that's what I was thinking, although it seemed oriented originally to you know the public at large, I think it can help healthcare providers in palliative care like me, even you know, guys have been around for a while. Um, so uh, I was excited by it and I'm, I'm just really pleased to be here and supporting it. Well, I we really appreciate you saying that. It, that's why it took us so long because we had to come up with these metaphors and, and really trying to find a way that would be acceptable and, and, some, and palatable to patients and families and, and using it even upstream and it may not uh, even early in a, in a diagnosis. Um, I remember you told me that you listened to the first episode, uh, our origin story, and Sammy shared her story of one of, you know, the breaking point where she had a patient, um, you know, who was hoping for a lung transplant, and that really resonated with you. So totally. Um, she had me uh, hooked at that moment, and it was right at the beginning. So uh, Sammy described the patient with uh, what we call IPF or interstitial pulmonary fibrosis. And um, so these are patients that have scarring of the lungs and uh, a lot of difficulty with breathing. Every effort and movement, you know, causes severe shortness of breath. And um, and this, you know, this patient was uh, was talking about MAID and wanting MAID, um, which of course is an option for many of the patients who suffer from severe, uh, you know, life limiting illness and whose death is foreseeable. And I had a patient exactly like that at the moment that I was struggling with, because I he actually came to us as a referral for MAID. And what we talked about was, how can we address your suffering? Let's get in there, because he's focused on MAID. Mm -hmm. And he, was, he remained open to letting us manage his symptoms palliatively, but you only get one kick at the can. I think Sammy's was really short. And, and I'm still there, you know, trying to manage his shortness of breath and all the other issues that are associated with such a life-limiting disease. Um, we're addressing his suffering. He may still want made. I don't know. Yeah. 
is that that so resonated with me because that's the struggle. We're helping him walk two roads. Yeah, and I think that's what really drove us to try to find a solution targeted for patients and families because we still hear the stories over and over. You know, I know we've done so many, so much, you know, clinician education and have so many great technologies and drugs, but sometimes some of these stories we hear on on the ground, you know, they really have these universal themes, and we're not really you know, addressing some of these, you know, suffering issues. And, and this week, we just, you know, released an episode uh, called Customize Your Order, where we heard from um, one of my friends, actually, who lost her daughter from a, a, you know, a complex heart disease. But it was really about trying to make sure the preferences and wishes, in this case, her daughter, but also of the families were incorporated in their decision making, and not just following sort of the standard of care. Um, did you, what, did, what did you think of that message? Does that sort of fit into what you're, you're trying to do? To me, it completely, it completely resonates personally, and I think it resonates for palliative care because what you try to do is find that unique approach that is going to meet that, those patients' needs. Um, we make all our healthcare decisions based on what our values are, perhaps our faith, and we, we mix them with what the evidence is for the decision. We have to customize it. There is no uh, one size fits all. Uh, we have an approach, but part of that approach is to make it customized, to make it unique to that individual. And um, um, I think shared my sort of recent example is that I started a hospice in the Toronto area. We really only have one adult hospice in the Toronto area, and we're kind of number two uh, in, in the North York. Um, we hope we actually build, but the reason I'm telling you about that is because of its name. The name of the hospice is Nishama. And that's actually a Hebrew word that means soul. Uh, I named it, but I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that actually refers to the essence of who someone is. So it's, it's going to their essence. It's going to what's meaningful to them in life. Uh, what's important to them? How do they want to live out their last days? How do they want to make their decisions about their health care and the approach uh, based on their values, on their faiths, on their the way they've always approached life. So that's what we try to do. It's really patient-centered, person-centered, and family-centered care. And so the name of the hospice is trying to reflect that customization. That's amazing. Yeah, and it, it, it fits beautifully with that message. And I know it's such a big task, so congratulations. And if people are interested, how can they contribute or learn more about this hospice? Oh, much appreciated. Uh, www.nishamahospice.com. Uh, Nishama is N-E-S-H-A-M-A. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so let's move from the podcast. I want to hear about what's happening with you. You just finished, uh, you, you know, your term as CMA president, uh, maybe not just, but, you know, a little while ago, it's a huge national role. I think you told me you were the first palliative care physician to have that role. Um, what were you most proud of in your time and what you were able to accomplish? Oh, there's so many things, but just to focus on two, I guess, my whole career has been about uh, advocacy. You know, we have something called the CAN meds roles in, in medicine, family medicine, uh, referring to an advocacy is one of those roles. And so being an advocate and helping to change the system on several levels, you know, we're advocates for our patients all the time in, in family medicine and palliative care on the individual level. 
On the community level, we advocate for what's needed for patients. So that's, hey, that's where the hospice comes in. And then there's the system level changes and that's the big picture. And when you get into national leadership, you're trying to actually alter the system. And so, so much of the advocacy, I'm almost proud of so much advocacy. One, for example, during the pandemic was the lack of PPE. Lack of personal protective equipment for healthcare providers who are putting themselves at risk. You know, like we never expect a firefighter to go into a burning building without adequate protective equipment. And it was the same for healthcare providers. So, as an example, we advocate at the federal levels to get that going and get that developed in a, in a very significant way. But a lot of the things we were doing were about equity, about equity of access to healthcare and services, including uh, palliative care. I've worked a lot in palliative care with the homeless in Toronto with the PEACH program. Those are the issues working with more the more marginalized and those people that have uh, less equitable access is really important to me. And so we got a lot of done. But the other is the, the well-being of healthcare providers and in our case, physicians. Um, and you know the, the culture with which we work makes us unwell. We have huge rates of burnout, um, lots of depression, even suicide, et cetera. And so focusing you know, often we're told to be, to look after ourselves, self-care, be compassionate with ourselves, but we don't deal with the system issues. And I think one of the things I'm very proud of is that within our strategic plan, and now we have a whole portfolio on health, wellness, and culture. So what's the culture of medicine? How do we improve the culture so that we are well, and we can then look after our patients? If we are unwell, the quality of care that we provide is really poor. So I'm proud of that. We have to look after wellness in that way. And it's something, to me, it comes from palliative care. It's all about compassion, having each other's back, supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Care can inform the whole big, the whole profession. Yeah, I'm, 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 I would love to hear because a, a lot of the news, particularly around the COVID and the pandemic has been about the hospitals and, and the ICU beds, which understandably so, but maybe less so of, of, you know, the front line in the community, which, you know, was already something that's already uh, fragmented and, and difficult. So what has that been like um, for you to provide palliative care um, to patients and families um, during this COVID outbreak, which we're almost at one year, my goodness. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's completely different. So I sort of officially joined North York uh, General as chair and medical director um, of the Freeman program in, in September, right after Labor Day, and really had to pick up looking after patients right away. And I, I, I enjoy being based in the community and and so I've been doing most of it there, but it's been virtual. And so this whole impact of virtual palliative care is completely different. You know, can we form the connections and the relationships virtually as well as we can when we're in person? I've struggled too, even with that, frankly, having serious illness conversations or conversations about their goals when I don't get, you don't get all the uh, nonverbal communication skills. It's really important to, when we provide palliative home care to be in the environment, to see the way our patients and families live. We, we do see their values and what's important to them. We may see religious symbols in the home or, mm-hmm. or the family photos or the lack thereof or chaos or whatever it happens to be is so important in, as we customize our, our care. And so, I ha- but I have, yeah, I put on the PPE, I go in and we see these patients when necessary, but we've also kind of pivoted to the virtual, which also can work. So I think we're getting into this hybrid model. Personally, I find it less satisfying. I think my patients probably do as well. Mm-hmm. And that's when I find that. And But some patients are actually preferring us as well to remain distance because they're so ill. Those my patients with uh, IPF who are susceptible to COVID, very susceptible, or the elderly, um, they um, 
they've asked us to, this is fine. Thank you very much. So that's customizing it, right? Yeah. Just their wishes. So, so we, you talked a bit about your frontline um, experience as a provider at, on the frontline. And one of the things we said is, is there a, a bigger role for palliative care providers during a pandemic? Like where can they show leadership in the system um, that maybe they didn't have a chance to before? We have to be part and parcel of all our communities and that includes our hospitals. As hospitals are overcoming, you know, are trying to deal with the surge of patients coming in and um, sometimes getting to the point of overwhelming our capacity, we were almost there within the second wave. Um, where we'd have to go into this critical triage of decision-making. Palliative care, of course, has an important role in those discussions about uh, critical care triage. But the other thing that palliative care can do is help take some of the burden off the hospitals. Um, one of the things we implemented at North York uh, was a program that if a patient came in that appeared to the emergency room team, the nurses and physicians to require a palliative approach to care that, but maybe hadn't had the conversations about what that means, uh, maybe non-aggressive care, more comfort-oriented care. Um, we developed a team, kind of like a SWAT team, to kind of go in, either virtually or in person, and have those kind of goals of care conversations. Takes the burden off the eMERGE. And many patients and families are not wanting to come into hospital anyway. Um, and they're, they don't, they're struggling with those visitor restrictions that are in place. And so we, we pivoted so we can provide immediate care in the community, necessary medications, nursing, PSW supports, and 24-7 medical, so that those patients don't have to come into hospital, can remain with their families, receive really excellent quality care in the community. And, um, and the, now the burden has removed and patients who are going to hospital are ones that really can benefit from the hospital environment. So that's one of the ways that we as a palliative care uh, community and group of providers can assist with the, with the bigger health care system. One question, my burning question is we've, you know, we, you know, I've, my expertise, I would say is palliative care, your palliative care physician. And even during this pandemic though, I think, you know, we, we've seen it more in the news, but for all your years of practice, when you go into patients' homes now and we use that word, do you think that there's a changing of, of the understanding of what it is? Or do you, you know, when you use those words, I'm a palliative care doctor, or when they refer, do you still feel like there has been a shift over time of that perception of, of that we're associated with death and dying? Or do you, like, what's the reaction from families? I wish I could say there, there, there was, but I don't think so. You know, uh, a lot of times it's still about end of life care and people don't recognize the palliative care can maybe be for years. I've had patients mm -hmm. for years. So it's not so much about uh, prognosis. Um, it's about a patient's needs um, that are living with life limiting illness. So actually on every new patient that I see, I ask for their understanding of palliative care. What was explained to you about this visit? What do you understand by palliative care? And, and that gives an opportunity to, to really help under, begin to understand them and how, what they're dealing with. Um, again, I, idea of the understanding of their illness. Um, but at the same time, it, it allows me to explain who I am, what I do, the approaches I take. And, um, and they get a much better understanding of, of palliative care is about living uh, with their illness. Um, and it may be end of life care, which I explained differently about dying. So it allows sort of an uninhibited conversation there slowly. And it'll kind of allows you to kind of help the patient uh, travel that road and get there. Yeah. Well, that's why 
you know, Sam and I, it took us so long or, or so much work went into trying to use language to go upstream. And we hoped that in many ways we were infusing the elements or the philosophy and approach of palliative care, but early on without having to, you know, use scary language. So anyway, we're very excited and we're so glad you've listened uh, about, to the Waiting Revolution podcast because we're hoping it's a vehicle for innovation and change in the future by engaging patients and families. But I wanna give the last word to you, like what are the things that you are excited about in projects that you're finding innovative and are hoping to also change the future? What are you seeing? Well, just one, one project that we're initiating um, in North York is uh, integrating a palliative approach into long-term care. I think the pandemic, you know, this we've been talking about this for a while, but the pandemic has just revealed all these gaps and weaknesses in our long-term care. But one of the ways that we can address those is by by bringing palliative care better into our long-term care facilities, allowing the conversations to happen with the patients, the residents, the families, um, and really, um, you know, allowing people to get their care in their home. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than sort of being shipped to the emergency room and admitted to hospital for everything without, you know, actually going through it. So that's a kind of an exciting project. And I think there is momentum now because of the pandemic, really yeah. area across the country. Yeah, for sure. Long-term care changes, they're so needed and they're so connected to, well, the community because, they, you know, they're getting the patients from there and when they're not supported there, that's where they go. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and help us get the word out. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketza. The podcast is edited and produced by me, Sien Xiao, and Kayla McMillan. Special thanks to Krista Honstra, Principal of Clarity Hub. Please go to our website to join in the conversation, waitingroomrevolution.com.